Welcome to the Valley Advocate Podcast, featuring interviews that take us deeper into the people and happenings on the local scene. For more podcasts and a closer look at what's going on in the Valley, visit us at valleyadvocate.com. Hello and welcome to the Valley Advocate Podcast. My name is Dave Eisenstatter. I'm the editor of the Valley Advocate. And joining me today is Luis Fieldman, a reporter for The Advocate, wrote a story, A New Routine, Waitley Strip Club to Reopen with Queer-Friendly Policies. Uh, welcome, Luis. Hello, Dave. Yeah. Um, uh, well, thanks very much for writing this piece. Uh, it's about Club Castaway, which um, has been closed for a couple months and is about to reopen under the manage- under new owners and uh, returned management of Bella Vendetta. Maybe you could talk a little bit about this um, this strip club and this um, this manager and kind of what she what she's trying to do with this place. Yeah. So Bella Vendetta actually has a little bit of a reputation in the area as an activist. Um, she has founded a nonprofit organization called Team Clear Hills Four One Three, and really the work that they've done has a lot to do with sex workers in the region. And um, she said when she started first looking into this towards the end of 2017, that there really weren't a lot of resources for sex workers and, you know, strippers included. And so she formed this group to sort of address a lot of things. And, um, you know, one of them has to do with actually providing some child care services for people in, in this industry and also um, some health resources such as uh, therapists and mental health specialists. Um, But actually, you know, they were really out in the public in the Northampton Pride Parade uh, last year because um, they're really advocating um, about a certain law, and it's called uh, the Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act, which was passed last year. And, you know, I think the title sort of explains what it's all about, and it addresses a lot of um, anti-sex trafficking, but... Uh, sort of an unintentional consequence um, that a lot of people in this industry were saying was that it actually made uh, consensual sex workers have to go uh, back out on the streets. And what I mean by that is that a lot of their online resources, such as like Craigslist and Backlist, where they could really sort of network and talk about either like, you know, dangerous clients or... um, just, you know, have ways of communicating with, with clients, and uh, you know, sort of, it became like an online, um, place to work. Uh, but with this law, it took down some of those sites and then it really forced them to go back out on the streets, which those, cause those sites un- under that law, those sites, I believe were, um, were in violation of that law because it could like, they, they had to police, um, sex trafficking, which, um, which the sites just claimed they wouldn't, they weren't able to do. So they had to shut down. Yeah. And it really, you know, it also, the law forced, um, cable providers also, uh, to put down these ads. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think Bella has in the last, you know, almost two years now has sort of gained this reputation as an activist and she did have experience managing, uh, club castaway, um, her last six months at the club after it was maybe around eight years or so that she had been sort of a seasonal performer there and other places in the area. Um, but she had managed there for about six months under the previous owner. Um, his name is Demetrius Constantopoulos, but mostly is known as Jimmy. Um, and so um, the way 
that she actually ended up coming back is that the new owners, um, they were sort of in this drawn out process of attaining like the alcohol and adult entertainment licenses throughout 2018. But in May, they finally got it. And uh, Bella, I think, always had sort of a vision of of what she wanted to see Club Castaways be. And that includes having male identifying dancers and having queer dancers and having uh, transgender performers um, actually be strippers at the club. Um, something that really is pretty unique for this area. And I think one of their opening nights is a lesbian night, right? I mean, then that was something that people had said was sort of unheard of in uh, for similar strip clubs. Yeah. I mean, there were going to be, you know, the flyer for the opening night for, you know, sort of this new castaways, this new era of castaways is Poppy Dance Beast, who is a queer performer out of New York City. So um, I think to Bella and to a lot of people, you know, that's pretty significant and it means a lot. And we should say Bella Vendetta, that's her professional name, not her uh, legal name or given name. And we're referring to her that way, kind of in part for her own safety. Sex work is is inherently dangerous. Um, uh, I think it's it's interesting. This is a pretty, there aren't that many of these strip clubs really in in Western Mass or even beyond. And to have, um, uh, you know, to have it be, uh, LGBTQ um, friendly policies. Uh, you were talking to some people that you'd have to go pretty far to find another similar place that um, that had policies like that. Absolutely. So I think I should mention too that you know, in the story uh, as it's written, it's um, you know one night is dedicated to male dancers, um, another night is dedicated to queer dancers, and another night is dedicated to transgender performers. And it's true, you know, they're really you'd have to go pretty far to find something similar. And to people I spoke with, um, so, such as Lorelai Erisis, who is a transgender woman who is actually part of Team Clear Hills 413, um, she was saying, you know, you'd have to probably go to New York City to, for, to find uh, a similar strip club or maybe even to Philadelphia to find a similar st- strip club. And, and Bella sort of echoed that as well. Um, so I think they are creating it's something that, you know, will, will attract people from not only just this area, but maybe a little further as well. Um, you also spoke to someone who had some concerns about um, how this might, how these changes might affect some of the employees, some of the strippers that um, that work at the club. Maybe you could talk about that. She actually brought up something that maybe I hadn't really considered, and you know, um, some dancers might feel like they have to out themselves as queer um, in order to sort of fit in to these nights, and um, perhaps that could also be extended also to transgender performers, and and so they're sort of sacrificing this like work life divide. And she also brought up that perhaps these nights, you know, may not be as economically beneficial for strippers that are scheduled for those nights. Um, So I think that is at least something to consider. Um, When you spoke to uh, Bella Vendetta about um, kind of what she's trying to do with the club, she spoke a lot about kind of in in some ways career development, like any career career. uh, she was talking about uh, classes for for her employees or run by her employees, and um, you know maybe you could talk a little bit about the the culture of um, of pole dancing stripping that she's sort of um, kind of in some ways trying to uh, support. Absolutely, you know, um, I, it it's really interesting because not only is this more of an inclusive space, but she 
is going out of her way to put on pole dancing lessons and also burlesque lessons, and that's open to the public, but also to um, to strippers, professional strippers, people who are in the industry, because so a question she asks a lot of her um, people who apply to become strippers at Club Castaway is, you know, how are you developing your career? You know, what are you doing to further yourself? Um, and I think that sort of speaks to sort of where maybe this industry is now because she was explaining when she first started off as a stripper, you know, many years ago, um, there were really no real resources in order to to even become a stripper. You essentially, you showed up at the strip club and if you landed a job, then the owner or the manager would say, you know, go tag along with so-and-so. She's an experienced stripper and um, she'll show you, sort of show you the ropes and you know, that can be pretty daunting, I imagine, if, if you don't have any experience. Yeah, well, that, she, just... said it, she said as much, yeah. And so and so I think, you know, she's creating this environment that um, it sounds like she is providing ways to, um, you know, for people who aren't experienced and who are also experienced to maybe learn a move or two or just, you know, find out ways to, to maybe hustle the room a little better, as, as sort of she puts it. Um, so I think there's, you know, many ways that, um, with these classes, you know, people who are in this field will, will have an opportunity to learn a little bit more. Yeah. And in some ways it's sort of continuing, uh, a, a legacy and a culture. She, she seemed to be saying the, um, the, I think one, one thing that she brought up is that pole dancing is, uh, it's crossing over to the mainstream. It's considered sport now by the global association of international sports federations, um, and so it's kind of it's a pole dancing's a thing, and um, and people who are civilians, non-strippers, are learning how to do it. And there are a lot of these strip uh, these I'm sorry these pole dancing classes that say this is not a stripping a stripping class. And it seemed like Bella Vendetta was uh, she didn't like that characterization. Yeah, it's really interesting how she put it that they're commodifying this. And I you know I thought that was a pretty fascinating perspective um, because it's true. I guess now pole dancing is considered a sport. Um, I've seen some talk of people trying to bring it even to the Olympics. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's, it's pole dancing has sort of occupied a certain place in society for a long time. And then now I think, uh, people want to take part in that, but they don't necessarily want to associate themselves with sort of, I guess, um, you know, this sort of space of strip clubs and sort of trying to differentiate themselves when it was born out of strip clubs, it was exactly born out of this. So I, maybe there's a little bit of a neglect of the history and trying to like separate themselves from that and say, we're not strip club pole dancers, we're something else. But I think some people take issue with that if you don't really acknowledge the history of it and really acknowledge the people who do this for a living. Because I think with this idea of commodification, it's, it's you know, anyone can sort of do this pole dancing and you can take a class and then be certified and then sort of start making money outside of what has been traditionally the way to make money pole dancing. And that's in a strip club. Waitley is a pretty rural community and not everybody was excited to have club castaway in the community. I think there, uh, there have been people who are uncomfortable with it being there in the past under its, under its previous ownership and the new owners who, I think, interestingly, as you pointed out in your story, were, you know, weren't initially seeking to get this strip club, club license. They were initially coming out here to look for a marijuana license. 
um, but found this found Club Castaway and decided that they they would seek that license instead. Um, but there was a pretty contentious process for them to for the the license to be transferred to them, and uh, at least a few town officials who were not happy that that was happening. Maybe you could talk about that. Yeah, so apparently it was a few years ago now that uh, Nicholas Bagnolo and Julius Sokol, who are the new owners, and they're from Boston, they have a, a background in real estate, and, um, you know, initially they were out here in Waitley looking for a farm to start growing marijuana, and they were looking to get into that industry. Um, then as uh, Nicholas sort of put it to me, as they became aware of Club Castaway, and they sort of surveyed, um, you know, the state of licenses in the state, and they found that it'd be you know, a valuable asset to them to have these licenses. And um, so there was a contentious affair, you know, between the town and the owners. Um, you know, there was a lot of residents that were even questioning whether they wanted to see a strip club in, in, in a small town like in Waitley. Um, and, and, you know, the select board themselves sort of voiced their own concern about um, whether or not, you know, the strip club had a place. Um and, you know, a lot of this is actually uh, documented in reporting by the Greenfield Recorder. Um, you know, they you know they did a good job staying on top of this and, um, you know, throughout this whole multi-hearing process, um, you know, did a good job reporting it. Um, but I think ultimately um, what um, the owner's lawyer was contending was that this is a First Amendment issue, um, that there real is no basis for denying the transfer of these licenses and... Um, ultimately, the, the state approved the license transfers, and um, the town set some conditions um, on the licenses, and a lot of them had to do with security. You know, there's going to be a lot more cameras on the premises, and, you know, almost basically anywhere that's public view is now going to be under surveillance, um, and the police chief will be able to, to view that. Um, even smaller things like building a wall around the smoking area to sort of concern, you know, alleviate residents' concerns um, of noise. And, you know, uh, I think Spagnola said they're, they're trying to be good neighbors, you know, so. It was, it was under the, so the select board chairman of Waitley, uh, Jonathan Edwards at the time, uh, the Greenfield recorder got a very, <laughs> I think, uh, interesting quote from him, uh, when he was talking about kind of his feeling, you know, he didn't, he has a daughter who's, uh, who's young, who he didn't, he felt uncomfortable with, his daughter and her friends knowing what was going on in that building. And uh, what he said uh, when confronted by this First Amendment argument, which you know they ultimately had no answer to, was, unfortunately, we have a constitution, and this is freedom of speech, but it's awful. So that was sort of like, when, you know, when that's your argument against, you're not getting very far. Um, and so they ultimately had to, had to agree. Um, you know, I think that... Uh, uh, you know, this it's interesting to see um, these policies at a local strip club. Um, you know, did anyone that you talk with, you know, have anything to say about, you know, either this is a trendsetter or, you know, anything going into the future? You know, I think it's, it's um, even viewed sort of by management and ownership as a bit of an experiment. Um, this hasn't been done before, and I think anytime you're breaking new ground, you sort of have to see and survey things as they go. Uh, the plan as it is right now is they're going to stay open. They're going to open at the end of the month, uh, the end of October. October 29th is the opening day. 
and they're going to stay open throughout November and December um, with this lineup, with this schedule of performers. And and then they're sort of going to close up shop. They're going to, you know, implement some renovations and then sort of evaluate how things go from there. But, um, you know, one has to imagine that when something so unique is sort of happening out here, that it really will attract people and at least to check it out. And, you know, its sustainability and longevity is to be seen. Great. Well, uh, Louise Fieldman uh, wrote a new routine, Waitley Strip Club to reopen with queer-friendly policies. Uh, it's in this week's Valley Advocate. It's online at valleyadvocate.com. Thanks, Luis. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to visit us at valleyadvocate.com. Thank you.